Good morning once again. We want to make sure that you feel welcomed here. My name is Jordan. I'm one of your pastors and today we're actually beginning a brand new series entitled The Women Behind the Exodus. Exodus is of course the second of 66 books that compile our holy scripture and the word Exodus actually means exit and this book is uh, a chronicling the story that tells of the Israel's exiting the bondage of slavery in Egypt. Now, in Exodus, many miraculous things happen throughout this book in showing us God's deliverance of his people. Throughout the narrative of Exodus, the story behind the redemption is displayed using women that God used as instruments to bring about his glory. Now, the instruments that the Israelites had found themselves in Egypt and their nation was growing at a very fast pace. Ever since Joseph had rose to power in Egypt, 400 years prior, the Israelites had embraced the Lord's command to be fruitful and multiply. And just a little shameless promotion here, the, the men's Bible study is studying, uh, we're towards the end of Genesis right now, and, and from Genesis to Exodus is a perfect segue. And so to understand more about how the Israelites had found themselves in the place that they were in in Egypt, I recommend attending 7 o'clock this Tuesday, where we'll be talking about Joseph. Um, so this is now 400 years later from Joseph, and a new pharaoh had risen to power, and he didn't know Joseph. It had been 400 years since. He had no affiliation with him, but what he did know is that this nation of Israel had come into his land and were growing so fast, and it seemed to be threatening him a little bit. The nation had been fruitful and multiplied, and it says in the scriptures that there's 600,000 men not counting women and children, are now in Egypt. So what does the Pharaoh do? He says, I don't want to be overthrown. I'm the king, and these are my people, the Egyptians, and we're going to rule. So what does he do? He enslaves the entire nation. And it says that he treats them harshly and cruel. And so now these are, this is the beginning of slavery, and they have no rights. And so the Israels, God's chosen nation, now find themselves in this dominating uh, dictatorship and they're slaves. They're miserable. They're treated poorly. And our series begins in the very first chapter of Exodus, in the midst of this slavery, where we find this narrative that includes characters, the Pharaoh, who's the ruler of Egypt, and two midwives. So if you have your Bible or you can follow along to the screen, we're going to be reading from Exodus 1, beginning in verse 15. Hear the word of God. Then the king of Egypt, that is the Pharaoh, said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom who was named Shifra and the other Pua, when you serve as a midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it's the son, you shall kill him. But if it's a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the, all the male children live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this and let the male children live? The midwives said to the Pharaoh, Because of the Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. So God dealt with them, with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Then the Pharaoh commanded all his people, Every son that is born to the Hebrews you shall cast into the Nile. But you shall let every daughter live. Thus saith the Lord. Interesting story, huh? Pharaoh had come up with this plan to stifle the reproduction of, 
of the Jewish babies and the production of a Jewish army by decreeing infanticide, which is the mass death of all newborn male babies. And the text taught us, teaches us that Pharaoh brought in two Hebrew midwives to serve as the executors of this plan. Their names were Shifra and Pua, and midwives were and are women who deliver babies. They would deliver the newborn, they'd cut the umbilical cord, they'd wash the baby, they'd wrap the baby, and hopefully if the mother survived, they'd hand the baby back to the mother. And the scripture says that these midwives were Hebrew. Now, we don't know for sure that they were actually of Hebrew descent or if they were Egyptian ladies serving Hebrews, but the names Shifra and Pua are Semitic, and I have a hard time imagining the Egyptians serving the Hebrews, being that they're in slavery. So most likely, these are Hebrew ladies. And so the Bible tells us the nation had grown so large, and so we can assume that these ladies were probably not the only midwives, but maybe like head nurses, like head midwives. And so they're summoned, and Pharaoh issues this this decree to these two ladies, and he says, when you serve as a midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it's a daughter, she shall live. Now you got to understand that coming before the Pharaoh was no light matter. They were coming into the court, these what we believe to be Hebrew women, slaves, walking into this magnificent courtroom. And he, you know, he's like the president. He's the king. He's the ruler of the nation. He'd enslaved a million people. So these women would be terrified that they've been summoned into the presence of this cruel ruler. No one would ever dare to undermine or disobey the Pharaoh in fear of death. So here these two women find themselves in the court of Pharaoh and they're tasked with something horrifying. (laughs) They are tasked with mass murder. That's, That's the job that they've been given. These women had chosen an interesting profession, givers of life, in a sense. They'd chosen a profession of life, delivering babies, and now they're asked to be agents of death by the Pharaoh. This was a tough situation to be in, to say the least. And they would have been terrified. And the text doesn't really note their response. It doesn't note if they say, you know, yes, Pharaoh. It doesn't note if they say, ah, well, we'll talk about it. It just, all we know that is they leave and Pharaoh believes it's going to get done. So either way, there was no disagreement there. But in response, our text does tell us that the midwives feared God and didn't do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but they let every male child live. They feared God. Now, we hear that term a lot in the Bible, and I feel like maybe it's a good time to talk about that. What does that mean? Well, we find two types of fear throughout Scripture. The first type of fear is the fear that you're most acquainted with. It's the fear that keeps us up at night. It's the fear that you're scared. It's often associated with harm or loss or death. That's the first type of fear that we find in the Bible. We find it in Isaiah 41, God, God speaking, fear not, I am with you. Fear not, I am with you. Do not be dismayed. I am your God. I will strengthen you. I'll help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. 
right hand. And even Jesus talks about this. He says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your Father? Even the hairs on your head are numbered. Fear not, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. So these, this is the type of fear. The first type of fear is saying, you know, about being scared. Now the type of fear, the second type of fear, which is the fear we find here that the midwives had of God, is associated with God and his children. This fear is a holy fear. It's felt within a relationship between a creator and a creation. It is a fear based on awe and respect. It is a fear based on overwhelming love. It is a fear that causes, out of response to this love, that causes action, that causes reactions, that causes obedience. This is a holy fear. This fear we see all over Scripture. Psalm 111, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have good understanding. Psalm 112, Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in His commandments. His offspring will be mighty in the land. Proverbs 19.23, The fear of the Lord leads to life. Definitely in this Scripture. And whoever has, has it rests satisfied and will not be visited by harm. I like the way my ESV study Bible puts it. This fear is not distrustful terror of God. This is not distrustful terror of God, but rather the reverent awe and worshipful response of faith to God who reveals himself as creator, savior, and judge. That's this type of fear. This was the fear that the Midwives experienced as they probably discussed what they were going to do as they left the court. I would assume the midwives left the court trembling with the first type of fear. Scared of death. But we'll see by the time they get back, they're going to be filled with the second type of fear. When presented with the decision to obey man or obey God, the midwives chose to obey their God. Their unholy fear of Pharaoh and his impending consequences was overcome by a holy fear in God which gave them the ability to do the right thing. These women understood what the writer of Proverbs said when he said, the fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. A snare is a trap, a trap is laid by hunters. Hunters are after prey. Hunters are after death. And we very much see this being played out as Pharaoh is trying to obtain prey, trying to obtain death. And it couldn't be easy for Shifra and Pua to make their decision. A man of great power presented them with a, holy, with a decision that blatantly opposed their God. You know, they hadn't received the Ten Commandments yet from Moses Moses was yet to be born, although thanks to them, he was. But they knew that their God was a God of life and not a God of death. And they knew that, they, that it would be wrong to commit these murders. But we know this wouldn't be an easy decision. We've got we to gotta try to put ourselves in this spot here where the ruler of all the land 
is asking us to do something. Disobeying the ruler who had enslaved their people, now wants to kill all their babies, would certainly punish these women, right? That's what they had to be thinking. If we don't do this, he's going to kill us. If your life was being threatened, if you don't do this, I'm going to kill you. This is a hard decision that they're making to obey Pharaoh and save their lives, save their reputation, save their job, save their money, save their security, or disobey God. Maybe lose their life, get slandered among the community, might lose my job, might lose my friends, might lose everything. This is a very difficult decision. And I think tasked with that today, we'd have a, tr- a, a tough time. That's why I'm thankful God has given us the scripture today. The easy thing for the midwives to do would be what? Kill the babies. You might even get promoted in the kingdom. That's the easy thing to do. See, the easy thing to do is to disobey God. That's the easy thing. The easy thing to do would be to listen to the world. But they knew that it was wrong. And they decide to obey, they decide to obey God and not obey the Pharaoh. They made the choice to obey God despite the worldly judgment on them because they had a holy fear of God. So the text continues. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, why have you done this? Why have you let the male children live? And the midwives said to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. Now, I'm not exactly sure what the tone is here. I mean, this is interesting. What they're basically saying is, sorry, Pharaoh, but us Hebrew women, we pump those babies out quick. And you Egyptians, you guys take forever. So we're with, it's easy for, for the Egyptians to have midwives, but the, the Hebrew women, we go in labor and it pops out. And I don't know if, they're, like, if their plan was, like, let's tell this lie to Pharaoh. And, and actually, if you ever get into this, this is kind of a hot topic amongst theological commentators on whether or not they lied and then whether or not it was a godly lie or just, anyway, it's a whole thing. But I don't know if they were lying or if they were straight up mocking Pharaoh and his people. I don't know. Maybe the, the overwhelming fear of God at that point had consumed them so much that they didn't care what Pharaoh did. And they said, us Hebrew ladies, we know how to give birth. And there's no point in having a midwife there. I can't get there in time. Whatever their tone was or plan was, we could see that the fear of God had totally replaced the fear of man. And it's awesome. Our story continues, and what's going to happen next? They've disobeyed. And so what happens next is God dealt with the midwives And the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. And families are treasures. It's a gift that God had given these women. Because they chose to do the right thing, God blessed them. Because they chose to obey God, he blessed them. Because they chose to live in accordance with their creator, these women became of eternal influence, as you'll see. And just notice which names are written down in this narrative. 
you know, the Pharaoh, the king, these are just titles. His name is not recorded here. There's speculation of who this guy is exactly. They pretty much dwindled it down to one or two Pharaohs. But listed specifically by name are Shifra and Pua, whose names mean splendid one and beautiful one. Their names are noted here by God. Pharaoh's name was never recorded. As these two humble women step out into the world, they declare their faith in God and they refuse to compromise their relationship with God by committing sin. Oh, how much we have to learn from these ladies. They did the right thing. They chose approval of God over the approval of man, over the approval of friends, over the approval of relationships, over the approval. They chose God instead of people. It's just as Jesus said, Jesus said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For who, whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? I had a tough time at this point in my sermon preparation. Being so wor- worried about what the world thinks about me instead of God. And I went back to that proverb, the fear of a man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. And I got stuck on that verse, and I read it over and over again. And I didn't know why, but my, I kept reading it, and my heart began to sink. It was aching. Because I realized that I'm in a trap. And I'll be honest with you, My whole life, I've been obsessed with what other people think about me. With what you think about me as a pastor. What my friends think about me as a friend. And it's just, that's a problem in itself, worrying about what people think about you so much. But it's, it's, I'll be honest, it's extremely difficult if you're a pastor because what does every pastor want to portray? Because I want you to think that I'm winning my battles with sin. I want you to think that I got everything together, that I'm a perfect dad, that my marriage is perfect, that I'm a perfect son and friend. I want you to think that because I'm your pastor, right? That's the image I want to give off. And the problem with that is, is that I hide my sin and my struggles so deep then I'll do whatever it takes to hide it because I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to let anybody in because that might expose me. And I get sucked in so deep because of the fear of man instead of the fear of God. And it's lonely. And it's oppressing. I want to create this mask. I want to create this appearance, this false image and I'll do anything to protect it. And I'll tell you, brothers and sisters, it doesn't work. Not only do I want to please you and have you approve me, but I want to please myself so I do whatever I want, justify it to God, try to. 
make sure that you would never find out so it couldn't threaten my outward appearance. And this has led me to such dark places. And it's wrong. And it's unnecessary. Don't think that you're off the hook. We all do it. We have a desire to be accepted and liked and we tell ourselves, fake it until we make it. But what actually happens, and I'm going to tell you right now, because I know, because I've learned, it's not fake it until you make it. It's fake it until God breaks it. He will break it. Thank God he does, because he loves me. But why do I have to get to the point where he has to break it? Unfortunately, the world is a very dark place, and the more that you choose to do its biddings, the more it sucks you in. It's no way to live. It's lonely. It's oppressing. It's dangerous. The midwives didn't stand for it. They did not want to choose the way of unbelievers and start down a path that wasn't aligned with their God. They wanted to stay in the light. They wanted to obey. They wanted to live in accordance with their God. They chose obedience, which led to blessings. They didn't want to fake anything and give God a reason to break something. The, these midwives shows us that fear in the Holy One means obeying, even if it's something dangerous or suffering or harmful. Marshall Siegel, he's a writer, he put, Every time you reject temptation and choose obedience, no matter how much it might have cost you, God has blessed you. Now, the midwives had eternal influence that day and that the Pharaoh changed his degree in response and changed the law to throw in babies in the Nile River. The Pharaoh commanded all his people, every son that is born, Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. Now, because of this, this changing of decree, a baby in the midst of an order of death was placed in a basket, thrown in a river, and would be picked up by the daughter of Pharaoh. He'd be raised as a prince of Egypt and would eventually be a mighty instrument for the glory of God by leading the Israelites out of bondage and slavery. And then from that nation that had now been set free, a king, his name would be David, would rise. And from that line of David would become a baby who would be born in a manger and he would become Jesus Christ and he would save us all from our sins. The midwives changed the course of direction of history. God used the midwives to change the direction through their faith and obedience, he became a, the, they became part of the plan to reconcile sinners to God. In closing, as you could probably tell by my emotional breakdown, I've had a rough 2019 so far. <laughs> you know why I love preaching? This is going to sound ridiculous. I love preaching because it forces me to read the Bible. It forces me to dive deep into Scripture. I have to dive deep into God's Word. I have to listen to what He is saying to me. And through His Holy Spirit, I understand it. And through, the, through understanding it, I have to get down on my knees because I'm, I'm seeing what it says about Him. I'm seeing what it says about me. I'm seeing what it says about us. And it, with holy fear and power, I'm repenting this week. And this epiphany came to me on Friday. I'm like, wow. I'm driving into work to finish this part of the sermon. 
And I was thanking God for the clarity he had given to me about a certain issue going on in my life. And I'm thanking God, thank you God that, that you had me preach this week. Thank you God that I got into your word this week. Thank you God that you've, you know, I've, I've, I've understood and was given the ability to obey and to repent. And I was thanking him for all that. And I'm, I'm like, this is ridiculous. I have the word of God in front of me always. At any time, I could do that. And so here I am. I find myself in this really dark, oppressed situation. I'm sad. And I start getting into God's word. And he starts providing answers. And light begins to come into my life. And I'm being able to resolve things and obey and repent. And I start thanking God that he, he allowed me to preach this weekend. And I'm like, okay, that's great. But wait, that's ridiculous. This whole time that I'm in this trap that the world has laid for me, I'm going to the world to find answers for the problems that the world has caused. It's insane. And meanwhile, I have the Word of God here at my disposal. And we don't have to wait till Sunday mornings to figure out what God's plan is for us in a dark situation. It wasn't until I opened up Scripture that I began to see the light for lack of a better word. How could we ever make the right choices, obey God, and live faithfully on our own? We need the Word of God. And it is by grace through my Savior Jesus Christ in which I can be given the faith to believe that His Word is true and then apply it to my life. Some of you right now are maybe caught in a trap like me or the world by looking for approval from them. You might be in a trap. You may be dancing around the trap. You may be heading towards a hidden trap. Wherever you are, what that proverb says is true. Those who trust in the Lord are safe. Find your, your safety in Him. So how do we trust in the Lord as the midwives did? Here's the formula. You need to confess your sin. It sucks. I know. It's hard. It's hard to humble yourself to a place where you say, I am guilty. It's hard to get there, but you need to confess it to the Lord and you need to say it out loud. Whatever got you in the trap in the first place. We need to confess it to Him. We need to recognize it. The second part's much better. You need to see Jesus. That sin that you confessed out loud, it was taken to a cross by a man who was God incarnate and was innocent. And he was punished for your sin. Your sin was punished with the wrath of God being poured upon an innocent man until death. But he resurrected like a roaring lion, defeating sin and defeating death. He calls you to him. He's calling to you to him now. All those who are weary and heavy laden, trapped by sin, to come to him today to enjoy his victory. Let me tell you something. It's not too late. Your life is not too messed up. Your past is not too ugly. Your sin is not too much. Come to Jesus. He's more than enough, I promise. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you. 
that you have given us your word. Forgive us, Lord, for so often trusting in the ways of the world for redemption instead of your word. Forgive us for seeking approval of man instead of approval of you. Forgive us for obeying the world instead of obeying you, Lord. Lord, give us the strength by your Holy Spirit to understand the grace that you have shown us by loving us so much that you would send your one and only Son to die for us so that we can be reconciled to you. Lord, I pray that that understanding of grace would turn us into faithful stewards of your will that we would obey you because we love you. And we thank you that this obedience is rewarded, that you have blessed us, Lord, when we obey you, Lord. May we trust in you. May we find safety in you. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen.